This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. All right. Good morning. We are going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 in a sermon I'm calling Poetry for the Polarized. I don't know if you've noticed, but our country has been a little divided lately. Um, When I say lately, I mean like for a while, definitely the last eight years. And I wish it was one of those things where I could say like, thankfully, like the church in America, like we've kind of like avoided it all, right? Like we're, we're not in it. That's not really the case, right? We've watched, especially over the last eight years, as the polarization in our country has literally affected our churches. I've seen churches that have split. I've seen churches that have died as a result of the polarization. I mean, can you just imagine for a second if, if I got up here and the first thing I did is like, hey guys, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna do a little exercise. I want, um, think back to the 2020 election. I want everyone that voted for this candidate to go over here. And I want everyone that voted for this candidate over here, like, what would happen? Like, would there be any sizing up? Would there be any judgment going on, you know, as you're looking across the room at the five people over on this side, (laughs) right? Uh, Come on. I just said what you were thinking, right? (laughs) Like, like, like we, but we do that, right? We, We want to like size up the other person and we want to judge based on, where they are or where they are not. Some of you know this, I was uh, a church planter in New Jersey, just um, outside of New York City for about 17 and a half years. And before we started the church, one of the things that we said is we said, if in five years, if our church is just all Republicans, what it means is that all we did was we reached like Southerners that transplanted or Midwesterners that transplanted and moved to New Jersey. And that was not our call. We said, we wanna wanna reach all people. We wanna reach people that were born and raised in New Jersey. And if that's the case, it's going to look different. Well, five years later, through a lot of prayer and by the grace of God, that's exactly what we got. We had a diverse church in like all the ways, including politically and from a worldview standpoint. And one of the things we said is it was one of our greatest strengths as a church, but also just to be honest, it was a challenge, right? It is a challenge to interact with people that think and view the world differently than you. But you have to learn what does it look like to have unity around the things that matter the most, around the gospel. And you know the deal. I don't have to tell you what happened. 2016 happens and there's all of a sudden more tension and more polarization in our country. And then 2020 comes and you have all the things. You have tension over an election. You have um, a pandemic where um, as a country, Christians were caught up in this as well. We were were arguing, oh, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you get a vaccine? Do you not get a vaccine? Who'd you vote for? What do you think about the election? And we became so wrapped up and concerned about figuring out like which side everybody was on so that we could know where they stood. And, um, and this is fueled, by the way, by a 24-hour news cycle that makes its money off getting you angry and scared, right? 
And uh, I've said this before, like that sort of thing is not competing for your spiritual formation. If that's you, if you're consuming 24 hours news all the time, that is your spiritual formation, right? It's, it's what's making you who you are. Here's the question for you. is like, how are we doing in relationships that we deem are, are our other, right? Um, holiday season is coming up and this is like huge, right? Like the holidays, this sort of stuff comes up even in our families. Uh, we, you have that like aunt or uncle or cousin that you just don't know what they're gonna say or when they're gonna say it. You know, like you're in the middle you're in the middle of like a, a meal and all of a sudden, you know, they bring up, hey, what do you think about that stolen election? And it's like the record just stops, you know, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. That one member that's a little bit, you know, some of you, and you know what they say, uh, some of you are like, I don't think I have that person in my family. That means like you're that person, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh. <laughs> somebody in the first service is like, oh man, like that is, yes. Like, uh, all right. Uh, we need to figure this out though, right? Like we need to figure out how we have relationships with people that think differently. And just to brag on real life for a little bit, like one of the things I love about our church is our focus on Jesus and how that focus on Jesus heals those relationships and makes it possible for us to have unity. But I also wanna be careful and not, let's not get cocky and go, well, you know what? It didn't, it hasn't happened to our church, therefore we're good. That's why a passage like what we're gonna look at this morning is so key because this passage is gonna show us what it looks like to apply the mind of Christ to our flesh and blood relationships. Because let's be honest, guys, it is really, it feels good to draw a line, a clear line and go, okay, which side of the line are you on? Because when I draw a line and I know that I'm on this side, now I know who I can be angry at. Now I can know who is wrong, who is my other. And I know who's on my side of the line. And that makes me feel good because like, you know, we're a community, we, we all think alike and we agree and it just, it feels good. That is not the way of Christ. Well, a great preacher, some of you know him, Tony Evans says it like this. He said, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. He said it way better than I did though. Like he said it with passion. Like Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. The kingdom of God we have to be really careful that we don't confuse it with the kingdom of man, that we don't confuse it with a political party. In fact, if you think that your political party is right on every single issue, then you actually have to somehow believe that the kingdom of man like just happened to match the kingdom of God every step of the way. And I love, uh, Tony Evans also said this, he said, the kingdom of God will always in some detail and at some level conflict with the kingdoms of men. And the kingdom of God will always at some level and some detail conflict with your political party and the platform of your political party and our candidates. And so it is foolish for us to think that we should divide our communities and our churches over, over politics. And it brings up the question is, can a church like ours be a light of unity in a divided, polarized country like we are right now? Can we as followers of Jesus find a way to hold fast to our convictions of the truth of the gospel and still embrace people that we don't agree with? The answer is, can we take on the mind of Christ? And so we're gonna look at a passage that I think will be familiar to some of you 
but I'm not sure if we've really understood how this passage affects our day-to-day life. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to look at the first verse, and most of what we're going to do is going to be in the English Standard Version. I love, though, the way the NIV puts verse 5. Listen to how he starts this passage. He says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul is telling you and I right now, hey, pay attention because these next verses, it's going to show you how you need to operate in your social media habits. <laughs> it's, Paul is saying, hey, pay attention to these next verses because Paul is going to talk about how you interact with your family at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Pay attention here because God is going to show you how you interact with your people at school or at work that think differently than you. Because we're about to go into 2024, an election season, and this stuff is going to come to the surface. And it's super easy for us to fall into, draw a line, I'm on this side, you're on that side, and I'm going to tell you what's up. Folks, we're called to something different. We're called to something higher. We're called to the mindset, the mind of Christ, the mind of King Jesus. What is that mindset? Well, Paul now is going to go into poetry. It's a hymn or a poem. And uh, I love what one commentator said. He said, um, this passage is so thick and full of truth that it could only be done through song or through poetry, through the arts. Because it's not just about like an outline or a system or about truth. He said, Paul here is like playing a chord where each truth isn't consecutive, but rather at the same time. And it adds depth and texture to it. And so if you would, let's read this hymn together starting in verse five. It'll be on the screen as well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's just take this verse by verse, and anytime you see a poem or a hymn, one of the things that you have to ask is like, is there more going on here than meets the eye? And we've talked about this before, but uh, remember in scripture, there's this thing called a chiasm. It's just a fancy word for a literary device where a passage kind of mirrors itself and you could literally fold it on top of itself. And the point of a chiasm is whenever there's a chiasm, there's a middle verse or a middle word or a middle thought that the author is going that's, that's the thing. Like it's all important, but that right there, that is the thing. And in this hymn, there is a center, a very, very obvious center that would have been like, people's minds would have been blown on what the center verse is. And we're gonna get to that in a bit. So keep that in the back of your mind as we go verse by verse. Look at verse six. Who, though he was in the form of God... First off, that word form, 
literally is talking, it can be used as the outward appearance of a spiritual being. Basically, Paul right here is saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Like, we hear in churches all the time, we, we talk about Jesus being God, but Paul's almost going like, yeah, God is Jesus, right? It's not Jesus is God, God is Jesus. And then he says, the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Uh, the, the word right there for grasped means to not take what you have and use it to your own advantage. Um, literally, what Paul is saying is like, you have all these things that God has given you, right? Uh, For Jesus, he was literally God. But rather than use that to push other people down, he could have stolen that and he could have grasped his rights and his privilege and all the things that he had. Instead, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Look at verse seven. But instead, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of, of men. The word emptied there is a rich term. In Greek, it's called uh, kenosis. It's like an emptying out of yourself. Um, stay with me here. This is going to get like a little deep, but I want, I want us to get this. This idea of kenosis, of emptying out, only makes sense if you understand what Paul is saying here. And what Paul is saying here is this deep principle called, you know what, if you want to, if you want to like make sure that you like lose all your friends, you can use this word in a phrase this week, all right? Hypostatic union. Everybody say hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. There you go. Hypostatic union means, literally, it just means that God or that Jesus is both fully God and fully human at the same time. 100% God 100% man. He is not 99% human, or he's not 99% God and 1% human. In other words, he's not God just pretending to be human. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm in a body, but really I'm God. No, 100%, 100%. He's not 99% human and just has like a spark of the divine. He is both things all at once. Now stay with me here. We did, a, we did a series on the attributes of God. Some of you remember this, nine-minute sermons where we hit 15 different attributes of God. I'm just going to ask the question first. One of, the, one of the attributes of God was omnipresence, right? The idea that God can be everywhere, at all places, at all times. Let me ask you this. Jesus in his body, was he omnipresent? Huh. Maybe you've never thought about that. Another attribute was um, omnipotent. He's all powerful. In other words, he doesn't need anything. Did Jesus ever need anything? Did he ever get hungry? Did he ever get thirsty? Did he ever get tired? Does an omnipotent being die? How does an all powerful God die? That's what happens to humans. Another attribute what about om- omniscient? right? Like all-knowing. There's nothing that God does not know. But then you have like all these weird verses like in Luke when it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in knowledge. What does it mean for an omniscient being to learn? And Jesus asks questions all the time. And I know like sometimes the way we read it is like, 
Yeah, Jesus asked the question, but we know, right? Like he, he just asked the question, he knew. But it does look like there's some things, like when he says, nobody knows the, the day or the hour. I don't either. What do you do with that? And I want to be really careful here because like there's some heretical teaching that gets put in here very, very easily. When you say like, okay, I guess like, so are you telling me Jesus isn't God? No. No, Jesus is God, which means he has access to all the attributes, which makes this more amazing. One theologian said it like this. In this passage, it's basically saying that Jesus had the God card and laid it down. Like in other words, um, he did not discard the attributes of God because it's still in him, but he chose to embody a physical body and all the limitations that come to it. He laid down the God card. That's huge, but that's not all of it, right? It says here that he became a slave. Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served and he proved it when he washed the disciples' feet. What kind of God on high, king, that is a king, washes feet, which would have been the vocation of a servant. And yet here is God in flesh in Jesus washing the disciples' feet, including the one that would betray him. Nobody would make that up. That is unbelievable. Look at the next verse. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Remember I said there's a middle, there's a middle verse. There's a middle thought that is like the most important thing. That's it. That would have been scandalous. Why would that have been scandalous? Well, when it comes to a cross, like some of you actually probably have crosses right now. You're wearing a cross, which seems normal. What wouldn't feel normal is if you're wearing like an electric chair, right? That would be weird. And so we have somehow, we've lost the shame in this. Um, the word cross in the first century would have been so shameful that you wouldn't even want to say it out loud. You'd be like, if you heard it read out loud, it would be like, hey, he was obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Shameful. Couldn't even voice it. In the Torah, there's a curse for anyone who hangs on a tree. Surely not the Messiah. Here you have a crucified Messiah. Here you have in Jesus, think about this, someone that is in heaven enjoying perfect fellowship as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He becomes human, but he doesn't just become human. He then becomes a servant, but then he's not just a servant. He is obedient to death, even death on a cross. Joseph Hellerman wrote a book on this passage and one of the things he said that I think just blows me away, he said, in Roman society, they had this thing called the course of honor. We might call it the corporate ladder, but it was a real thing. It was a real thing. If you were a young aristocrat in Rome or in Philippi and you wanted to become a senator, they would inspire you and go, hey, you can become, you can be all that you can be. You can go, you can climb to the top. And they had these steps. Like if you wanna to get to the top, you go here, then you go here, and then you go here, up, 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 up the corporate ladder, and now you're a senator. You can be whatever you wanna be. What Hellerman says here is that Paul takes the course of honor 
and he turns it into a course of shame. In other words, instead of going up, 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 you have God in Jesus who is in heaven, enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father and the, and the Spirit, and he goes down and he becomes God incarnate. He becomes human. But that wasn't low enough, so then he becomes a servant or a slave, but that's not enough. Then he becomes obedient, obedient to death, but that's not enough. Death on a cross. It's a course of shame. That's the low point. And then look what happens, verse nine. All of a sudden something changes. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Notice the word therefore. It wasn't, hey, despite all the shame, despite the fact that it looks like your Messiah is going down rather than up. It's not despite. He's saying like, because, therefore, God is now highly exalted. Listen, folks, the way the kingdom is upside down. It's going down, not going up. If you want to go up, you go down. If you want to go down, you go up. And the up here is that Jesus is exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And look at verses 10 and 11. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Now, when you're a rabbi like Paul and you've memorized the Hebrew scriptures and it's just in you, you, you get to plagiarize all the time. It's kind of cool. And that's what Paul does here. He's totally plagiarizing Isaiah 45. Totally. And you can do that because it's just in him. But what he does here is unbelievable. Look at Isaiah 45, verse 18. It'll be on the screen. It says this, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. And then skip down to verses 22 and 23. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn for my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. You know what he's doing here? Paul takes Isaiah 45. And you want to talk about being controversial. He swaps out Yahweh, the name of God, for Jesus. And he says that the name of this Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven. In other words, every spiritual being on earth, that's you and me, under the earth, the people that are gone and passed away, like everyone is gonna exalt him and bow our knee to him. The course of honor is turned into the course of shame in the king that we worship. And let's not lose sight of verse five again, where Paul's like, hey, hey, listen, in your relationships with one another, this mindset, this mindset of Jesus of going low, that's what we're to have in our relationship. Kenosis, this emptying out of ourselves should change the way that we interact with each other. Let me just give you two takeaways this morning that I think are huge for us. First one is this. Kenosis is about listening and it's about humility. 
Jesus had the God card, but he did not play it. He listened, he served. If you notice, he had more questions than he had answers. And when I say this, I don't mean, I don't mean like listening where you're just like waiting so that you can tell them what's up, <laughs> right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna listen and then when you're done, are you done? You're done? Okay, good. Let me tell you, let me tell you what's right. Like listening and humility is a posture that recognizes something. And by the way, some of you might think, well, I'm not that political. This isn't just about politics. This is about worldview. This is about the way that you see things. When we take a posture of learning and listening, we recognize that we are, as much as we want to think we're neutral and we just figured out all these things ourselves, we need to recognize and have enough self-awareness to know that often our worldviews are a product of our community. It's a product of um, the way that we were brought up. Hopefully, as followers of Jesus, it's a product of looking at the word of God and allowing the word of God to shape us. But we understand that we're coming from a very specific place. And kenosis, the idea of emptying ourselves, means that we're not just listening, but we're learning. And we're, we, we have this open posture of like, you know what, this person from a different context, from a different perspective, might have something to teach me. And here's the cool thing. This is just kind of a side note. When we take that posture of learning, we actually have a better chance of influencing them rather than us going like, you're just absolutely wrong. And I'm gonna tell you the five ways you're wrong. How many times have you changed somebody's mind by putting them in their place? But when we have a posture and we do, we have the mind of Jesus and instead of going up, we're going down and we're, we're humble we're emptying ourselves of all the pride, everything changes. That's the first one. We listen and we listen with humility. And the second one is this, kenosis or emptying, our, emptying ourselves is about loving and serving our other. Okay, we draw this line and we know which side of the line we're on and you're on that side of the line, you're my other. But if I've adopted the mind of Jesus and by the way, this is so simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. When we adopt the mind of Jesus, then we, instead of hating them, instead of shouting them down, instead of saying they are the enemy and they are ruining the world, we love them and we serve them. The question is, when you have a choice between winning the argument and winning a friend, what do you do? What do you pick? What is the way of Jesus? I was um, a college student at Univers Union University. Um, my roommate's right there from uh, Union OB. And uh, you know, it's funny, when you're young in the faith, like, like usually your theology is like just like perfect, right? At least mine was. Like I remember like back in college, like my theology was tight. Like I knew it all. Like it was like perfect. Like not like now of like, you know, now I'm like really backslidden now. But like back then I knew all the theology. You could ask me any question. I was like a, I was like a, 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 a chat bot for theology. Just ask me anything. I knew it. And um, I'll never forget. That was my mindset. And I remember us being in class one day and the class got into this just foolish, foolish argument over uh, Odul's. Does anybody remember Odul's? I don't even know if it's still around. Odul's is like a non-alcoholic beer, right? And so we got into this huge argument of should Christians 
be able to drink non-alcoholic beer or does it look bad and is it a stumbling block, all that sort of thing. And I remember the argument started in class and somehow overflowed into a phone conversation between someone that I deemed legalistic and prideful. And um, here I was on the other end, just a humble servant of God that just happened to have the right answers for him if he would just listen. And I remember being on the phone in this heated conversation and the debate got pretty heated and I could tell he was getting really, really angry. And so I was like, dude, like, you just need to chill. Maybe you need to get a beer and relax. Oh man, it felt good. He hung up the phone on me and I thought to myself, that went well, that was great. 10 minutes later, the phone rings again and it's him. And I'm like, round two, here we go. And he says, Tim, before you say anything, I just wanna, I need to apologize to you. He's like, man, I just, I love Jesus so much and I get so passionate and it sometimes makes me legalistic and it makes me judgy and, and I took it out on you and I, and I just wanna say, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> thanks. I'll never forget that moment. I hung up the phone and I'm like, I had a choice between winning the argument or winning a relationship. And I don't think I did either one. He actually modeled to me kenosis. He modeled to me this downward trajectory of humility and a posture of openness that to this day has affected me as I think back on that relationship. The mind of Christ is what we are called to. And listen, the reason that we can go down, the reason that we can have humility, the reason that we don't have to be right is because our identity is not in being right. Our identity is rooted in a relationship with this crucified King that instead of going up, went down. Instead of the course of honor, took the course of shame to the point of being obedient to death, death on a died, buried, rose on the third day. We trust this crucified King with our lives. And now that's my identity. And so when your view is different than mine, it's okay. Let's talk because my identity isn't based on pushing you down. Can you imagine what would happen if followers of Jesus in this country modeled a different way? It's hard. It's so fun to own someone online and to like have just the right word and just the right thing that like throws them off. That's not the way of Jesus. Let's pray and let's ask God to cultivate the course of shame, the course of humility, the mind of Christ in our life. Let's pray. Father, you are so, so good. It doesn't even make sense, Father, that as king, you had it all, yet you loved us so much that you took a different course. Father, I pray for every person in this room, maybe there's someone today that has never trusted you as their, 
as their King, as their Lord, as their Savior, would you just draw them to yourself this morning? And for others, Father, we confess it's so easy to fall into the ways of the world. Give us your mind, give us your heart, help us to love others the way that you've loved us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us this morning. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.